Hey, we're, uh, let's jump into the word this morning. Grab your Bible and open to the book of 1 Peter chapter number 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And I'm going to start reading along the lines of verse 3, verses 3 through 8 to be exact. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. If you're born again this morning, shout amen. 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 He caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept or reserved in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, in this waiting for our faith to be revealed, speaking of the coming of Jesus, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes through its tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. How many of you have ever seen Jesus Christ in the flesh? Nobody. But how many of you know him? How many of you love him? How many of you have been born of his spirit? Amen. And Peter's saying it's a phenomenal thing, really, that though you've never seen him, you still love him. If you remember Jesus when he was talking to Thomas, and Thomas had said, until I see the wounds, you know, until I see the wound in his side and put my finger uh, in the wound in his hands, I'm not going to believe and then when Jesus come together and, Tom, and he said, Thomas, I want you to put your hand in my side. I want you to put your finger uh, in my side. You, you can see my re the results of my resurrection and therefore you believe. And that's good. But Jesus said, blessed are those who believe when they have not seen. Amen. That though we've not seen him in the flesh, yet we believe in him. And not only do we just believe, but we love him and we appreciate what he has done. He said that our faith might be tested and that it might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, I love this verse. Though you do, now, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. The King James says joy unspeakable and full of glory. And I want to talk about that joy unspeakable this morning. Can you bow with me? Father, today I just come as a, as a messenger I know the, the word that you have placed deep in my heart. And God, it has ministered to me as an individual, not as a preacher, but as a Christian. And I pray that today you might anoint me with the Holy Ghost and fire, that your words, God, might, might be magnified in this auditorium today, that your words would press past all of the walls that we've built up, that your words might penetrate through our human pride, our lusts, that it might penetrate through the, the lies of the enemy. God, in a world filled with trial, difficulties and problems and wars and rumors of wars, we find ourselves, Lord, at many times looking for purpose and many times finding sadness in our heart. But God, you came to give us joy. Father, this joy that, that Peter spoke of that is unspeakable, God, we, we have it. You've given it to us. Sometimes we have a tendency to lay it aside. We, we lose it somewhere along the way. But I pray, God, that you would help us all to find that joy again, that deep-seated joy that you have placed in the depths of our soul. And we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. 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 
Have you ever, I, I love to watch sports, Olympics, football, baseball, you name it. If it's a sporting event, I love to watch it. But one thing that I've always noticed, and it's kind of annoying to me, it kind of gets my nerves to a certain extent, is that after a game is over, you see all of these reporters, the sports commentators and the reporters that all come, you know, gathering around and they're flooding to, to talk to these uh, athletes. And they're just, they're, they're elbowing through and they're just trying to get to that spot where they can ask this uh, athlete a question, and the way they're acting, you would think that they've just got the question of the century, right? They've got this pressing question they want to ask this athlete, and they always ask the same question every time. You know what it is? You just won. How are you feeling right now? They always ask you. You notice it annoys me. I'm thinking, if I was a sports commentator, I would come up with a different way of saying that, right? They always say the same thing. How are you feeling right now? Well, he's excited. I mean, you know, he's, he's happy, or she, they're, they're happy, they just won, uh, but they're always asking, how do you feel? What do those athletes, in a lot of cases, what do a lot of them say? Well, it's, it's hard to put into words, right? They're excited, they're happy, they're joyful, but they say, you know, it's just, I'm speechless right now, it's, it's hard for me to put into words, which ultimately means I didn't come prepared for a speech, maybe I didn't think I was going to win, I don't know. But the bottom line was, uh, it's just hard for me to put into words. And when it comes to the glory of God, when it comes to the joy that God has placed within us, the, the work that Christ did on the cross, and the change that God makes in us as human beings... And we think about, like Peter is talking about here, here's a man who spent uh, three years by the side of Jesus, hearing his words, his teaching, experiencing the glory and the miracles every day. And now he's carrying the torch, and he's continuing to witness Jesus at work. Amen? Even though Jesus in the flesh had gone back to, to, the, to, to heaven, the Holy Spirit is working in him and through him. And so Peter's saying, this, this, the joy that I have in serving God is beyond words. There are no words in the human vocabulary that can describe the joy that God's glory brings to us. Amen? He said, it is joy unspeakable and full or filled with glory. Now, as a donut lover, I love things that are filled. Amen? I mean, think about it. Krispy Kreme donuts are, are good and they're awesome. But when they're jelly-filled Krispy Kreme donuts, now we're talking about this level of ecstasy, right, that you can't, that you can't they get by. Uh, and so when we think about joy that we get in life, joy that things bring us, whether it's, you know, a, a job that we like or our family, things that bring us joy and that's good. But joy that's filled with the glory of God is far greater. Amen. Because really, that's the only true source of true joy. Now, Webster's, Webster's Dictionary defines joy like this. Gladness, being exhilarated and cheerful in spirit. Being glad, being cheerful, being happy. And every culture, nearly every culture on the planet, every culture in the human race defines joy pretty much that way. When you're happy, when you're cheerful, you have joy. This view of joy is typically linked to our circumstances. So if life is good, we have joy. If we get our way, we have joy. If people treat us well, we have joy. If the Royals finally win a ball game, we have joy, right? Me and Dean, where's, where's Dean? We don't have joy as near as often as, as we would like, but when things are good, view, or I mean, uh, in, in the, amongst us as humans, joy is viewed as an emotion um, that kind of comes and goes like every other emotion. Now think about your human emotions that we all have, okay? Sometimes your 
Anger is a human emotion. Sometimes you're mad, sometimes you're not. Sometimes uh, you're sad, sometimes you're not. Sometimes you're happy and sometimes you're not. But what I want you to understand this morning is that, that uh, joy and happiness are not the same thing. Joy and happiness, we, we define them that way, but really joy and happiness are not the same thing. Happiness is a human emotion that comes and goes, depending on whether the Royals are winning or not, right? Depending on how uh, life is treating you. I'm, I'm happy when the Royals are winning. I'm unhappy when they're losing. I'm happy when the kids are being obedient. I'm unhappy when they're not. I'm happy when I've got a full bank account, and I'm unhappy when I don't. So happiness is tied to our circumstances, but joy is not. Joy is not an emotion, Joy is more stable than that. I mean, our emotions, let's think about it. Let's be honest. Our emotions are all over the place. Ladies, sometimes more than the guys. But our emotions are, are very unstable because our emotions, for the most part, are tied to our circumstances. If our circumstances are good, our emotions are good. If our circumstances are bad, our emotions are bad. Joy, true joy, is not an emotion. It is more stable than that. Jesus defined joy as being a continual, deep soul satisfaction, right? Jesus defines joy as being a contentment in the depths of your person, right? That, that a person experiences by knowing God. Joy doesn't come by circumstances. Joy comes by knowing God, amen? Psalm 16 and 11 says, in your presence, God, is the fullness of joy, True joy is only found in God's presence. And where does God's presence abide? In church? Can you only experience true joy on Sunday morning when we're here in God's presence? No, God's presence abides within us. His spirit abides within us all the time. So that tells me that I can abide in joy all of the time. Doesn't mean I'm going to be happy and go lucky and tiptoeing through the tulips all the time. But despite my circumstances, there's a deep joy that is continual. Because joy is more, more stable than just any old emotion. Matthew 13 and 44, Jesus says it like this. He uses a, a, um, a parable and he says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He finds this treasure and suddenly that treasure means more to him than every other thing in the world that he has. He's willing to take everything he has, sell it, get rid of it, just so that he might have this treasure. And Jesus specifically said in his joy, he got rid of everything that he might have this treasure. What is Jesus teaching us in this parable? Simply this. He's teaching us that once a person finds God, he is complete. Right? He needs nothing else in the world in order to make him happy. People, why do people go to every length there is in, in society to find some sort of happiness and joy? They're, they're, people are looking for love in all the wrong places, right? Or looking for joy in all the wrong places. Everything, we feel like the more money we have, the more joy we'll have. That's not true. There's people. There's people who have lived and lived today that's got a lot more money than I have and zero joy. Oh, but if I only have a lot more money, I'll have more joy. If I, if I get to do, experience this great uh, trip or this great pleasure in life, if I have this or do this, if people accept me, they don't have joy. And so we're tying joy to our, and Jesus said, no, no, no. This guy, nothing else in the world 
made him happy anymore. His joy was knowing, what did that treasure represent? The kingdom of God. His joy came from knowing his God. Your joy will come, not by having a big 401k. I hope you've got one, that's good. But that's not where the source of your joy is gonna come from. Your joy comes from simply knowing God and knowing that God knows you, amen? In your presence is the fullness of joy. Don't look, at, don't look for it anywhere else. In John chapter 15, verses nine through 11, Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let me read that last part again. These things I have spoken, what, what, what things is he speaking about? The love of God. Just as God has loved me, I love you. And when we come to the comprehension of the fact that God loves, and I know you know it. I, I, I know that in your mind and in, in our minds, we know that God loves us. We, we know John 3.16. We know the verse. We learned it as a kid in vacation Bible school. God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. So we know it. But, but I, I, wonder, I wonder at times, I know for me, I wonder how much I really know it. I mean, I think that if we could come to grips with the depth of God's love and what that really means, there would be something swell up within us, folks, that nothing in this world can, can rob you of your joy. Jesus is saying to his disciples, just like God loved me, I love you, and I want that my joy, knowing that my Father loves me, I want you, I want you to know my joy and that your joy may be full. That your joy may be full, complete, complete, because you understand that I love you. That's why I'm going to the cross. Despite how much you failed, despite your sin, despite your weaknesses, despite your doubts and your struggles, I still love you with a love that you can't even comprehend as a human being. Jesus was very clear in his teaching that as much love as you and I have for our kids, I mean, if you think that as a human emotion, when we think about love, that's probably the deepest form of love that we can have, loving our children. And, and Jesus, in his teaching, basically says, look, as much as you love your children, you can't, that doesn't even scratch the surface. That, that's not even close to describing how much I love you. Can you imagine a love that great? And Jesus says that when you understand that, your joy is then full. You're not finding your entire life trying to appease God. You're not trying your, your entire life trying to be your own God. Your whole existence is wrapped up in your knowledge that God loves you. That's where your joy comes from. Jesus found his joy. So, so if Jesus said, I want your joy to be full, then why would we settle for half full? Why settle for half full? If, I mean, if you go, if you go to the, the, the convenience store and you want a big... No, let's go, let's go to Sonic this afternoon. Let's go to Sonic. Say, you say you want a Route 44 vanilla Dr. Pepper. Sounds really good. Could somebody run out and get me one of those real quick? <laughs> let's say you want a Route 44 vanilla Dr. Pepper. You're thirsty. You need something to satisfy. Of course, we know sat soda didn't really satisfy the thirst, but we, we like to pretend that it does. But I want to, so are we going to be, satisfied if people, if, if, they, if the, the little girl comes out or the little guy comes out to the car and they bring you a half a cup? Are you going to go, oh, well, I really wanted a, a whole cup, but okay. 
Are you, I mean, honestly, are you just going to take your, you've paid for the full amount. Are you going to take the half a cup and be happy with that? No, you're going to say, dude, I ordered a Route 44. I'm talking, bring me a five gallon bucket, right? I want it to be full and we're not going to settle for half full, especially if we've paid for full. And Jesus is saying, I want, I don't want you to settle for half full of joy. Jesus is saying, I paid for you to have the full Route 44, amen? Jesus went to the cross and paid the full ultimate price so that you and I could have full joy in our life. I want your joy to be full, he said. Why settle for half full? Why know a little bit about Jesus and settle for a little bit of joy? I mean, if our knowledge of the love of God is linked to our joy, then why stop where we're at? Why settle for just a little not? I mean, many people are, are, are happy and content with tipping their hat to Jesus. We know a little bit about Jesus. We know, we know enough about Jesus to keep us out of hell. How many Christian people are satisfied with that? I don't think we should be. That's great. You know Jesus. You're not going to go to hell. But look, you, you still got a lot of life to live, Right? Why not pursue the fullness of Jesus? Why not go all out and learn as much about Jesus as you can? And the more Jesus you learn, the more full your joy becomes. That's true. I'm not making this up. I can show you here in the Bible, right? Why settle when we can have so much more? Why not know the fullness? Paul, in his, in his letter to the Ephesians, he's writing to this, this new church and he says, I want for you, to know what the depth of God's love is, the breadth, the length, the height. He goes on to say, I want you to know and understand the fullness of Christ's love. Never be settled for little. Receive full joy. If, we, if, you, wait, if you wait around in the shallow end of the pool, you can't really wonder why your hair's not wet, Right? If you're hot, you know, there's nothing better than being in a nice, cool pool whenever you're hot and you're nasty and you're sweaty. Let's say you say, I need to be refreshed. I'm so hot and sweaty. I want to be refreshed. And so you're sitting there thinking, man, this pool is just not doing it for me. This pool is just not satisfying me like I really want it to. It's not refreshing me like I want it to. And you're standing in ankle-deep water. Why is my hair not wet? Why am I not refreshed? You're standing in ankle-deep water. If you want to really be refreshed... How is the pool going to ultimately help you? You got to go all in. You got to go head to toe. You got to be all in and then that pool can refresh you. Amen. Oh, this, I've tried Jesus. I've tried church and I just, I don't have what I'm looking for. It's because you're still ankle deep. You, you learned about Noah and his ark. You learned about Samson and his long hair. You learn a little bit about Moses and the Red Sea. And you splash around ankle deep. Folks, there is so much more to God than just understanding a few Bible stories. Amen? If you want the true joy that fulfills you, that doesn't leave you longing constantly to find something else, you've got to be willing to go all in with Jesus. Amen? People get frustrated when the joy of the Lord seems to escape them. I've, and I've talked to, I've talked to people, talked to a gentleman not too awful long ago, and his, his mentality was, well, I, you know, I just, I don't know how to believe. I don't know how to, to get this, how, to, you know, it's almost as to blame the pool, almost as to blame, well, there's, there must, is there really anything to all this? Because no matter how much I try to, 
to understand it, I can't understand it. But the truth of the matter is this, plain and simple, and I'm not picking on anybody because I've been here myself. Plain of the matter is uh, how much time the person put into really seeking the presence of God. If, if, if the presence of God is where the source of joy is, then why wouldn't we constantly be pursuing and seeking the presence of God? How do we get into the presence of God? Through worship, through his word, through prayer, through devotion, right? I mean, through, it just takes time, doesn't it? It takes time, and in many cases, the time is what we're not willing to give. We, we want to be able to get into where our mind, if, if I'm in the ankle-deep water, my, my hair is never affected. If, I, if I'm ankle-deep in my knowledge of God and in the presence of God, my mind is never affected. My mind, how many of you need a renewed mind? I need a renewed mind. My mind is crazy. And my mind has a mind of its own, right? I mean, so I need my mind to be renewed. But that doesn't come through once a week, you know, putting in my time at church. That's not going to renew my mind. That's not going to give me full joy. It is an everyday pursuit of God. Not an everyday pursuit of religion. I'm talking about everyday pursuing God and longing for him to be God in your life. We like we want to be able to okay, we want to be able to just kind of randomly open your our Bible and start reading it and think that we'll know all that we need to know about God by doing it. Have, have you ever done that? Honestly, raise your hand if you've ever done that. I've done it. Things are going bad. I need, to get, I need to get a word from God, so I just randomly open the Bible and start reading it. Well, I didn't get what I'm looking for. No, I didn't. That's not, that's not the way it works. It's, an every, it's a lifelong pursuit. Amen? Not a five-minute brushing shoulders with God. In the 17th chapter of John, if you've never read that chapter, you need to. This is... John 17 is, you know, Jesus, the time, on his, the time of his uh, life on this earth is almost over. He, he's facing the cross, and he knows that he's going to die, and he's going to go back. Uh, he's going to raise again. He's going to go back to heaven. And so in the 17th chapter of John, Jesus prays one of the most beautiful prayers you can ever think of. And I'd encourage you to read it, because he prayed for you there. You say, he prayed for me? Yes, he prayed for you. Jesus, as he prays for things like unity amongst his people, he said, God, I, I want my people, I want them to be one as we are one. I want them to operate in unity as we operate in unity. And he goes on to pray for this. He said, I'm praying not only for, uh, for, for these that are here, not only for the disciples that are following, now, following me now, but Father, I pray this for everybody who will believe. Everybody who will put their faith in Christ. That's you, that's me. This prayer that Jesus prayed for you, and this is a portion of it. This is in chapter 17, verses 13 and 15, through 15. Jesus says, but now I am coming to you, Father, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. God, I want them to have the kind of joy that fulfills me in knowing that you love me. I want them to have that same joy fulfilled, knowing that we love them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus is praying that we would have joy, but he's not praying that our circumstances will change. I mean, by, the, by human definition of joy, that when things are going good, we have joy, Jesus should have prayed, Lord, I pray that you keep them out of all their problems, right? 
Keep them out of persecution. Lord, make their life great and so that they can have joy. That's not what Jesus prayed. He prayed that their joy would be fulfilled even though he knew that the world hated them. I mean, Jesus knew that the disciples would soon be going through an immense persecution. And that the only thing that was going to bring them through that persecution was the joy that they had. The only thing that was going to get them through life and get them through the hard times and the trials was the joy of the Lord that they had. Jesus is teaching that true joy is not tied to circumstances. Uh, It's not there one day and gone the next. Jesus declared in this one prayer, Jesus is declaring, now hear this, Jesus is declaring that these disciples can be persecuted and can still have joy. That's what he's praying. They're going to be persecuted. The world hates them. But I pray, God, that it doesn't steal the joy. Happiness, up and down, yes. I'm happy one day. I'm, happy, I'm not happy the next. But joy, never, it never fleets us. It never fails us. Jesus said, you can be persecuted, but you can still have joy. Hey, man, I had to, let me read something for you. I get this publication. Some of you may get this. It's called Voice of, The Voice of the Martyrs. How many of you ever heard of it? How many of you get this? It's, it's a free publication. You can get it every month. Uh, but if you've got a weak stomach, I'd recommend you don't get it. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'll be 100% honest with you. I get this all the time, and I literally have to force myself to read it. What the, what the Voice of the Martyrs is, is basically the publication that talks about persecuted Christians in the world today. We, we don't see it. I mean, in, in, in America, it, we're still a free country, and we can be a Christian, and we have no fear of persecution. Oh, yeah, somebody may make fun of us. Big whoop. That's not persecution. I'm talking about life being threatened. And so there's people all over the world today that face immense persecution, just like the disciples did. Threat, threatening of their life. And so Voice of the Martyrs, it talk, I mean, they, they have works in all over the world. They get Bibles to these people. Uh, they'll get uh, you know, food and clothing, and, and they try to help these persecuted Christians all over the world. And so they, they send this out and write about it. And I have to force myself to read it. When I read this, I, I mean, I just feel like a pansy, honestly. I feel like such a wimp when I read. When I think about some of the things that, rob me of my joy, some of the things that get me all up and get, get my goat. And then I read something like this, and I'm like, Dennis, you are such a wimp. I want to read some of this for you because uh, I got you captive right here, and most of you aren't going to get up and leave. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this for you. This particular article is about Christians around the Central Africa Republic and uh, facing great persecution. It says all Christians... Uh, in the area, they're just talking about an attack by Muslim uh, militias that came in. All Christians in the area were either killed or driven into the forest and forced to live off the land while the rebels made way for Muslims to come and occupy the town. Uh, this one pastor writes that his, the entire mission station, the entire church and their, the houses that they build for their families with their own hands were all destroyed. I mean, just come in, you imagine somebody coming in and just burning your house to the ground because you're a Christian. We can't, I mean, you see where I'm saying, we can't fathom that. But that's what's happening to Christians in the world today in some places. Um, many of those who, who fled did not even have time to put on their shoes or clothes. Uh, as bullets rained down and homes went up in flames, Christian villagers ran for their lives. 
In some cases, those unable, unable to flee were thrown into buildings to be burned alive. 33, roughly 33,000 Christians have been displaced. Okay, this is not in Bible times. This is just like within this, the past few months in, in Africa. And despite all of that, now by our human definition of joy, when things are good, we can have joy in serving Jesus when everything's going good. But get this, this is the part that stood out to me. Christian leaders in that community said that they noticed a new sense of unity among churches, even using the crisis to show love and forgiveness to their Muslim neighbors, the ones who were burning their houses down and killing their loved ones. Look at this. I'm telling you, you feel like a wimp. The crisis, I quote, these are in quotations. The crisis has caused people to be more serious about their faith. The crisis has caused people to be more serious about their faith. What we find in this is just what Jesus said, though persecution comes, there still can be joy. These people, and you read, and this, there's more, you read about these people are just as happy as they can be. The joy flows like a river, even though their circumstances are horrible. I'll read this last thing here, and this is what it all boils down to. Here's where the rubber meets the road. We think something is, this is the, they're quoting this pastor. He says, we think something is worth it when the outcome or the product gained is of more value to us than the effort or the price we paid. What we're gonna get out of it is more valuable than the price we paid. That's why you all go to a job every day. You work all day long and that's not very fun, but the result, right, the outcome, the product of your work, the paycheck, is more valuable to you than the work of getting there. So the joy that we have in knowing God, the hope of eternal life, which ultimately is what Peter was talking about, that joy unspeakable and full of glory, that hope of eternal life, the reward and the end result is more valuable to us than anything we might lose in this life. Does that make sense? We trade our lives for what we deem valuable. And in exceptional cases, we may even consider it an honor or a privilege to have the chance to pay that price. We trade our lives for what we deem valuable. How many people trade their lives and even their soul? The Bible says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? We trade our joy many times we sell out to the world and we sell out to sin. We will give our life for what we deem to be valuable. If we deem the presence of God to be the most valuable thing we can possess, then we're willing to give our life for it and even suffer for it a little if we have to. Amen? <clears throat> Nehemiah 8 and 10 says, Do not be grieved, I love this, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It's what gives you the power the capability of facing anything you got to face. Now, the opposite of joy, sadness, gloom, depression. And in our society, depression is, is spreading like the plague. People facing great amounts of depression in the world around us. And there's, there's some different reasons for that. 
Some, uh, you know, some, some depression is, is physical. I mean, it's, it's literally, uh, you know, people can't help it. I mean, there's a, so I'm not knocking that at all. I mean, sometimes people have a, a physical uh, situation, a condition that, you know, maybe requires some uh, medicinal help. And that's not any different than if I have a heart condition and I need to take medicine for my, for my heart. I mean, some people have a physical situation that, that causes depression. So I'm not talking about that so much. Some people... Um, face times of depression because of because of circum, you know that are circumstantial things circumstances in their life such as you know losing a loved one uh, somebody that's real dear and close to you you know life changing tragedies uh, can can cause uh, a certain amount of, of depression and people go through that and I'm not knocking that that's not what I'm talking about either I'm just talking about the depression that comes due to an absence of Christ and when we look at the plague of depression in our world today. Much of it is just because the absence of Jesus Christ in a person's life. And David went through a period where he didn't experience the presence of God much. He was, he was living in a place of rebellion and sin. And he got so tired of that and he got so depressed that he goes to God and he said, God, I want you to restore unto me the what? I want you to restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Salva- joy comes from knowing God and being in the presence of God. We read about Philip that went into Samaria and preached one of the greatest revivals that we read about in the book of Acts. And the Bible says that great things were happening. He was preaching Christ. The Holy Spirit came into Samaria. It came, the presence of God literally came into town. And people were believing in Jesus and they were being set free from sin. And the Bible says that there was great joy in that city. What's that tell me? That there was no joy there before. No Put that out there for me, Jennifer, would you? No, but when there was no Jesus in Samaria, there was no joy. But once Jesus came to town, now the people have joy. It's linked. Some of you probably seen this on a, I don't know, I saw it on a church billboard or a bumper sticker or something. I think it was actually peace. No Jesus, no peace, no, but it applies to this as well, obviously. If you know Jesus, then you know joy. If you have no Jesus, you have no joy. So much truth in that. Amen? It's a, due to an absence of Jesus. Do you know what darkness really is? Darkness is not a thing. Darkness, in a way, doesn't exist. Darkness is an absence of light. Amen? So the, the gloom and the depression and the sadness that people have, in many cases, it's, it's not real. It's, just, it's, it's caused by an absence of the light, by an absence of Jesus Christ. We see celebrities and people that have everything. I mean, they got the world by the tail. And how many of those celebrities have we read about or seen on the news that have have died from a a drug overdose or have committed suicide? It's proof joy can't be found in the things of this world. It just can't be. Don't waste your time trying to get it. Understand where the joy, the true source of joy comes from and, and go there, amen? And this doesn't, don't get me wrong, this doesn't mean that Christians won't ever be sad. doesn't mean we're never going to be depressed, you know, occasionally. We certainly will. There's times that that happens. It just, it means that although we're dealing with the emotion of sadness, joy is still present to pull us through. Amen? John 16, 22, Jesus said, So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Jesus is talking to the disciples who are pretty bummed out about the whole idea of him being crucified. 
They're, 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 they're scared and they're fearful of what the future holds because Jesus just dropped the bomb on them. I'm going to be crucified and then I'm going to leave and you're going to be on your own. And, and they're freaked out by that. And Jesus said, I understand that my words right now, those words bring a certain amount of sorrow. And the idea of going through persecution, the idea of going through hard times and trials, it brings a certain amount of sorrow. That's understandable. But what he's saying is eventually you have to understand that one day joy will cast out all the sorrow and nobody can take that joy from you. I love that. If, if you don't hear anything, if nothing else I say dribbles down into your soul today, let this dribble down into your soul. Nobody can take your joy from you. Your joy does not come from a person. It doesn't come from your spouse. It doesn't come from your children. Joy doesn't come from people. Joy comes from the presence of God and nobody can rob you of that. Hallelujah. Jesus intended on our joy to be permanent, not up and down. I got joy, now I don't have joy. I got joy, that's, no, joy, he says, your joy is like this. Circumstances, I wish I had a, I should have built it. I should have built a, a graph. I'm a banker, we like charts and graphs. I should have built one. Here's joy, right? Here's circumstances, but here's joy. Joy's the same, it stays the same. Circumstances have none, but joy's always there. Joy's, Jesus said it's permanent. Don't let Satan rob you of that. And I'm gonna leave you with this. Matthew 25 and 21 Jesus speaking about that day that we will stand before God, that day where everything that we've looked for will come. And Jesus says, in that day, Jesus will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the, <laughs> enter into the joy of the Lord. Enter in. Now he's talking about heaven. He's talking about a moment where we stand before God and we go, we enter into eternity. And heaven, there's no doubt about it, heaven is gonna bring the greatest joy that we've ever experienced. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful through the hard times and the trials. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. But my encouragement to you this morning, and we're looking forward to that, we should. That's the source of our joy. But I just want to get you this morning to dare to believe that maybe you can enter into the joy of the Lord today. That you don't have to wait for heaven to beat depression or sadness or gloom, that you can experience the joy of God and enter into the joy of the Lord right now, today, where you are. We can get a glimpse of that joy that has been provided for us. Shouldn't that be, a, shouldn't that be enough? Shouldn't that be something that we desire? Are you satisfied where you're at or do you want more? I've just been praying these last couple days as God laid this message on my heart. I really didn't want it to be a sermon. I don't want it to just be a nice little message that I can give in this hour and then we can you know, go out of here and everybody pat me on the back, well, great message, so on and so forth. I'm, I'm praying and hoping that somebody in this place today gets their joy back, amen? I'm hoping that somehow the light of this word, not my presentation, but the light of this word and the message of joy that is unspeakable and full of glory, that you might enter into it today. Amen? That there might be a turning point for you this morning in this place. Mom, go ahead and come to the piano if you don't mind. That there might be a turning point for you. That there might be just a ray of hope that you can be free. You might have a ray of hope this morning that you can know God on a level and have, a, have joy that when you get up in the morning, it's not a dread to live another day. I don't believe that's what Jesus intends for us, amen? I don't believe that Jesus intends for us to just have to dread the next day. He said, I came 
that you might have joy and that your joy might be full. Would you stand with me this morning as they prepare to sing?